From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Matt, we have a really cool guest with us now. Back in 2020, in the heat of the pandemic, we had KKR investing billions of dollars in credit strategies as most investors had dipped out. Now, a person familiar tells me KKR invested more than $5 billion in the last couple of months. Joining us now to talk about what KKR is doing is a director at the company, Tal Reback. Thank you so much for joining us, Tal. What are you buying right now and why are you able to step in when others are stepping out? is a lot of great opportunities being created, you know, albeit on a volatile backdrop. And, you know, we're starting to think that high yield is getting more attractive, certain high quality pockets, senior secured loan paper. There's a lot of interesting dispersion also being created, I would say, intra-sector. And, you know, from an inflationary perspective, we've already known about that for quite some time. So we've been really looking at durability of cash flows, really using that as our true north in credit and downside protection as we look across the spectrum on what we want to lean into right now. What do you expect the Fed to do? Um, and especially given your affiliation with the Fed, I mean, you've you've got some uh, really uh, deep knowledge of how, how they work, but they're in a difficult place right now because they're going to have to fight inflation. And yet um, there are worries about slowing growth. Absolutely. You know, I think our base case is that the Fed has to continue to tighten. Again, we think that's something that the market has priced in, and it should have been on investors' minds for some time. But that we don't see a way that they can pivot away from that, you know, given all of the moving parts in the market. So we do foresee the rate hikes taking place as that continues to unfold, making sure that we're as flexibly toggling between fixed and floating rate assets, really thinking about our portfolio construction and keeping in mind all of the geopolitical issues in the backdrop. When you look around you, I know that you are finding opportunities, but where do you find big risks and the places that investors might lose a lot of money? Oh, it's a great question. You know, one thing that we've talked about a lot at KKR, sometimes the market grapples with a, a concept we like to call perception versus reality. And in, in this current chapter of the market, we think duration risk is one thing to really highlight. Given the Fed stepping in in 2020, a, you know, conducive monetary backdrop where borrowers are extending their liabilities, the longer end of the curve could see a little bit more volatility, which we actually saw in January. So being really mindful of that duration risk across our asset allocation and, you know, understanding that what was perceived once upon a time as safe 
for example, something like fixed income and IG, that, that may not be the best risk adjusted return right now. So going a little bit sub IG is where we would play. What are the effects of the war, Tal? I mean, I, I know geopolitical uncertainty is hard to price in, but now we know what Russia is going to do, has done, is doing, um, and you can see the effects of businesses around the world. Yeah, absolutely. You know, first and foremost, our thoughts are with people of Ukraine during this tragic and terrible time. And, you know, KKR is fortunate enough to have established the KKR Global Institute over a decade ago, led by General Petraeus. And we're staying very close to this and over communicating with our clients and portfolio companies. But we've we've incorporated into our investment process geopolitical risk. So we're being extremely thoughtful, you know, intraday as the situation develops. And quite honestly, in Europe, that's closer to the unfortunate conflict. We co- we're being selective. You know, there could be growth slowing there. You know, the net effects and second and third derivatives of supply chain issues and commodities. So we're being extremely thoughtful um, and we'll see. But we're, you know, we're just staying on our toes like everyone else. Yeah, interesting. That's kind of like what me and Matt were talking about earlier. Even though the stock market is up, that people are worried about those growth concerns. I'm wondering, you know, you mentioned General Petraeus and his work with KKR. How are you answering questions from clients? What are the biggest things on their mind as they navigate this market here and abroad? Yeah, absolutely. You know, firstly, we're, we're over-communicating. And, you know, from a business perspective, we have very limited indirect exposure to begin with, really in large part, to our investment process and our platform is so connected and global that we're constantly cross-pollinating across our different disciplines. So we're just making sure we're ready and available. We're taking note of every angle of the market. And one thing to say is, you know, we're in the market day in, day out at very different verticals. So we're one team is seeing something where another is not. We're exchanging that information and making sure everyone is consistent on the same page. By the way, Shanali was uh, Shanali and I have been talking about the LIBOR OIS spread for the past few days, and I see that you are responsible for um, the firm's LIBOR transition effort. How how is that going to go? You know what what are we going to really see in a world without LIBOR? Yeah, no, you, you came to the right person on that. So <laughs> I think it's it's really interesting to see the widening in OIS right now, particularly because. Most of those quotes are really coming from the panel bank, something that we call expert judgment. You're not seeing a whole lot of wholesale transactions. So there's a gauge on what that bank and credit risk looks like. But if you look at the spot spread and you look how SOFR has the liquidity in SOFR has really deepened, what we're seeing is, you know, a true adoption of the life after LIBOR, which I think is a net positive and a, a testament to all the work being done. But it is not, you know, notwithstanding something that highlights a few of the challenges we've mm. seen with LIBOR historically, that it can start to get a bit wonky, especially yep. in market environments like these, where there's lacking liquidity. Tal, great having you on. Thank you so much for joining us. And thanks to Shanali, um for, for booking her. Tal Reback there, director at KKR. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com. 
Now, I told you we're going to talk to Will Naskovitz. He's the chairman and CEO of Heartland Advisors. And um, great day to have you on, Will. Thanks so much for joining us. What do you think about this bounce back we're seeing um, even after uh, we heard um, the, you know, the U.S. is going to embargo Russian oil. That's going to put some real, um, put put some Americans in real difficulty as prices uh, are rising. In fact, Jeff Gunlock said maybe even ten percent inflation. Why are we up today? Well, thanks for having me. I, I think it's this volatility is going to be with us for some time, and I'm certainly not trying to diminish the significance or the gravity of the situation in Ukraine. But for some perspective, I think is, is worthwhile. I mean, we've had hundreds of crises, you know, going and dozens of crises going back to 100 years or so. And, you know, typically a year post the event, whether it's a war or a terrorist attack or some type of financial panic, the market is up. So I don't know that this circumstance is going to play out like that, but I do think it feeds the notion of trying to capitalize on some of the opportunities that are presenting to investors. And that's what you know we're going to continue to do here at Heartland. We're going to continue to apply our, our 10 principles of value investing and look at the specific risks and outlooks uh, in any particular company. I mean, what we're finding here in this sell-off, and this is perhaps why we're seeing buying today, is that in many cases, the valuations of companies have really disconnected from you know their fundamentals that they're going to be seeing over the, over the longer term, notwithstanding all the uncertainties that are out there. So what are you recommending to clients? What do you do? Do you buy amid the volatility or do you sit on the sidelines? Well, I think you just have to be aware of it all, right? You can't just be laser focused on the macro and all the geopolitical. You have to do that in conjunction with adhering to your process. And I referenced earlier us remaining focused on the specific company risks and opportunities out there and looking at it on a case-by-case basis where perhaps the valuations look really compelling because the market overestimated some of these risks or at the very least uh, taking a very short-term view. I mean, I think a good example to maybe get a little more specifics on this, the healthcare sector was not a great place to be last year. We're all familiar with, with COVID and all the protocols and the labor challenges that really dampened elective procedures that these companies and hospitals experience. You know, that's presenting opportunities in that space here today because we think those procedures come back in 2022. The valuations aren't reflected. So I think you just have to be very choosy, very specific in your work and be, you know, entrepreneurial and an active investor here. Let's get over to Tom Stringfellow and ask him those questions. He's the chief investment strategist at Argent Financial Group. Tom, um, thanks for joining us. We've been talking about these big inflation predictions and warnings from Gunlock and Fink. What do you think? Well, I appreciate uh, the opportunity. And, and you know, the uh, 10% number, uh, yeah, that's kind of a scary number. And it's certainly not one that I'm looking at at this point in time. You know, and, you know, just thinking back to the you know, charts that were just mentioned, absolutely correct. Everything is, is yeah, it's just escalated and elevating. And I put that, you know, a, kind of a momentum rush right now that I don't think is sustainable in inflation if you start talking about 10%. But I wouldn't be surprised if we don't get hit with something you know, just shy of north of 8%, you know, with this coming month, uh, you know, in terms of uh, uh, CPI and maybe core somewhere around 6.5%. Either way, those are still you know, well, year high. With Texas Intermediate trading at $117 a barrel, um, and, you know, yesterday it looked like we were going to get closer to 130. That's got to, right. that's got to oh, be either brought under control or I mean, how do you see that from Texas? 
Well, you know, good point from Texas. You know, we kind of look at it, and, you know, if, uh, if you're a metal owner, you got to love $120, $130 uh, oil. Uh, if you're driving back and forth, you know, that changes the perspective. And, and, you know, there is some thought that maybe, you know, these higher oil prices at the pump are somewhat deflationary because it's taken money away from, you know, what might be spent on, on durables, uh, you know, by consumers over the next several months. But, you know, I... If you believe prices are going higher in the oil business, you've got to also believe that the uh, Ukraine situation gets much, much worse and continues to be a, an absolute uh, uh, channel blocker on the oil industry. And, and, you know, that's the question. What happens over there certainly has a lot of impact on how inflationary we're going to be, you know, not only at the, uh, at the uh, fuel pump, but also at the grocery store. You know, it's not, it's really not just oil though, right? Uh, Real quick here. I mean, how much are these price increases going to flow through the economy? Well, and and, yeah, that's, that's a great point. And yeah, right now we've started to see uh, companies uh, starting to raise prices. And, you know, I I think that's inevitable. You know, they're going to have to continue trying to keep, you know, reasonable, you know, target margin for, uh, you know, uh, their operations. So, it's definitely going to bleed through, and especially you know anything that's resource based. You know these prices are going to have to flow through to the market, and uh, you know I don't know that we have seen that kind of pricing yet into the underlying financials and the, into the market itself. You know investors I think are focusing on you know the impact on um, interest rates and inflation, and you know what's that going to do based on prior history. But I don't see that having been priced into the market yet. Yeah, what we're seeing today, I think, is just natural for a, uh, you know, volatile, uncertain market. You know, we're in a pendulum swing right now that just keeps to, seems Mm. to, uh, you know, go from one extreme to another. That's, that's how I view this, but this volatility has also given us some great buys. Yeah, Tom, we're going to have to get check back in with you later on those buying opportunities, but appreciate your time today. Tom Stringfellow, Chief Investment Strategist at Argent Financial. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Get over to Caroline Bresson right now, Managing Director of the Open Road Alliance and the Open Road Impact Fund. Um, Caroline, Caroline, talk to us about what exactly you do at the Open Road Alliance. Sure, and uh, thanks, Matt and Shanali, for, for having me today. So Open Road steps up at critical moments, and um, there's some sort of delay or, or there's kind of an acceleration for an impact-first company that's addressing climate change or, or inequality. Uh, so, for example, we actually just funded a, a company that provides a, a warning system for airstrikes against civilians. They give a seven to ten minute warning um, and, and serve over two million people across Syria and Yemen. So we're hoping HALA systems uh, can provide their services soon in, in Ukraine. Um, but our investment helped them, uh, you know, accelerate their growth and, and continue to keep their, their impact on track when they had some snags in their fundraising. Well, that's just the thing about impact investing. If you're if you're impact investing, you need to kind of stick in it for the long road. What are some of the challenges along the way? 
Yeah. So, um, you know, open road plays a very specific role. We, we do bridge financing. So unfortunately, um, my dad's an economist, so he'd say we have a very inefficient uh, impact investing sector where funds are committed, but they're often not dispersed into the hands of entrepreneurs for, you know, sometimes 12 months. Um, and so when you think about all that red tape in particular, if you're getting an investment from a government uh, or, or something like that, um, people, entrepreneurs are just sitting on their hands waiting for, for cash to come in the door. So Open Road provides these bridge loans that solve for those one-time discrete moments of, of cash crunch. What does uh, a raising rate environment mean to you? Yeah, good question. So it's interesting. The impact sector is a bit, just, you know, government funds. And so I, I I believe that rates will go up um, on, on the debt side, just as, as you would see in, in any financial market. Um, however, there is a lot of downward pressure from, you know, philanthropic funds and, and government funds that might keep the cost of capital lower for these impact-focused entrepreneurs. Now, when you think about kind of what's happening in the world and, and the fight over oil and the investment that might go into energy into the United States, I mean, how does that start to complicate a lot of the big ESG investments that uh, have been brewing for so long? Yeah, well, you know, ESG is really just a framework. And so what it does is it identifies risks up front. It doesn't say that, you know, you should avoid it. It means that the, the price should reflect the risk. Um, but, but I think, you know, what's going on with Russian oil right now really is um, a great moment for green energy. And we've seen that Germany already has, you know, uh, moved up their target uh, to 2035 to getting to full green energy. So I'm, I'm hopeful that it'll just mean a recommitment to getting towards those climate goals sooner. Difficult, though, for the American consumer, for the everyday person here, right? When you see gas prices at six, seven dollars uh, a barrel. I have noticed that even I, uh, as, as an incredible car lover, have thought, you know what, maybe I should take the train. Um, that kind of demand destruction is probably good for the transition, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm jealous of my neighbor down the street that bought a Tesla. Um, and, and I think it, it will just accelerate, um, you know, the investment into, uh, into electric cars, um, the companies out there pounding the pavement to, to raise new funds. Hopefully, um, you know, the more money they get, the quicker they can invest, the more they can bring down costs on electric cars and similar technologies that will hopefully show up in the hands of consumers. Well, and, and into solar, um, you know, because when you, ha- your neighbor, uh, probably doesn't want to be powering his or her Tesla with dirty coal uh, electricity would be much better to put solar panels on the roof and charge it up that way. Is is that something that you think is going to pick up? Because it wasn't the Open Road Alliance. Um, it, it wasn't that a big part of this of the start of Open Road. Yeah. So about half of our portfolio is in in renewable energy, and um, we just see more and more you know funds being started to to help accelerate that. Um, but when you look at some states, they're kind of already a, ahead of the curve. I think. Washington State, um, over 90% of the energy produced is is um, via hydropower. California, well over half of the energy is is solar, and so we should see that you know reliance on oil coming down. Um, it, it just depends on how much your state's invested in that technology to date. On one hand, and we just have about a minute left here. You say that it's inefficient sometimes to invest this way, but it can really show up in times of an emergency. How is that working now? 
Yeah, you know, when we think about um, the, how these large climate commitments are translated into impact, it's, it's obvious that individual companies must receive capital uh, from those large commitments to get their climate mitigating work started. You know, salaries must be paid, inventory ordered, et cetera. And so the demand is higher than ever for open road. Um, you know, we are providing our bridge loans at a, at a breakneck pace trying to meet the demands of, of companies that are working towards this climate transition. All right, really interesting stuff, Caroline. Thanks so much. For joining us, Caroline Brisson, there, Managing Director of Open Road Alliance and Open Road Impact Fund, talking to us about um, their business. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.